0: Hey, I'm Ryan Rashog. My definition of relentless is leaving no stone unturned in your journey towards achieving your goals. There's a lot of things that we cannot control in this life. There are a lot of things that we can. Focus on the things that we can control and leave no stone unturned in taking care of the details. Chances are you give yourself your best chance of getting where you want to go. To me, that is relentless.
1: On today's episode of the Relentless Podcast, we are very thrilled to have Ryan Rashog, a TSN broadcaster who talks to us about his career and also talks to us about some of the secondary trauma that he has dealt with in regards to all the coverage that he was involved with, with the Humboldt crash of 2018. Uh, We are very excited to have the TSN Bureau Chief for Edmonton. Or is it Albert? I'm not sure. Nah. Ryan Rashog is here with us. Thanks for being here, Ryan. Hey,
0: man. Absolutely thrilled to be here. Love love the concept of this podcast. Uh, loved it when I heard you were doing it, and I'm really excited to be one of the uh, early guests. So thanks for having me, buddy. I don't know about Bureau Chief, though, because like it's that's not on my business card. That's not on my contract. That's not what I'm called. But the, the, the dummies down at the radio station started calling me that yeah. when they were introducing me to their shows, and then it just sort of stuck. So everyone calls me, tsn edmonton bureau chief but that would lead some to believe that i have like people working for me or i have like i oversee other people in the bureau right uh so yeah i don't know think i'm the chief of anything so
1: <laughs> so how many people do work here <laughs> it's me right so well, in terms of yeah guess, but you're uh, the uh, chief of you yeah. which i think is great
0: i mean you know dave parker yeah. so dave parker is uh our excellent cameraman yeah uh and i would say i'm i probably qualify as his boss so uh
1: how does parker feel
0: yeah he'll love hearing that i i i do consider myself
1: to be dave's boss yeah so if you're watching this dave take the day off that's right take the day dave and then tomorrow (laughs) ryan's gonna boss you around
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: he was annoyed because during the pandemic when uh we weren't able to shoot down at the
0: rink I'd be working at home and we'd need to shoot something and he lives in St. Albert and I live in Sherwood Park and I'm like, yeah, it's, you're going to have to come out to, the, come out to head office. So, he would have to drive all the way out to Sherwood Park. To Sherwood we'd go Park. shoot in like my front yard yeah, yeah, because we weren't able to get to the rink and stuff TSN during the pandemic. Headquarters so, TSN headquarters. TSN headquarters. Well, yeah. exactly, right? Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's
1: Ryan, what it is. What I'd like to do today is talk to you about your career. Talk to you sure. about how you came up, how you had to be relentless in many ways to kind of get to being a bureau chief. And, um, and then talk about some other things in regards to, to, to your job and, and uh, some of the things that, that you've experienced, some of the places you've been. Um, so let's, let's get after it. You know what? We, I'll tell you where we'll start. Uh, we will start with you are an uh, Edmonton area guy. Mm-hmm. Growing up, you played some hockey and you ended up going to the WHL, which is very cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I played uh, some minor hockey in Sherwood Park. Then we moved to Kamloops, played some minor hockey in Kamloops uh, right through to my second year midget, played midget AAA. Uh, but I wasn't one of those guys that was like drafted or listed or anything like that. I ended up making, so after my second year midget, um, I was going to pack it in and uh, Kamloops called and they were like, well, I'll just come try out. We got some spots open. So I said, sure. Yeah, I'll give her a go. And uh, just so happens they needed some, you know, some physical right wingers. They were, it was after they'd won back-to-back Memorial Cups and a lot of the good players left. (laughs) So there were some spots open. And yeah, I was able to walk on, just made the team as a local kid, 18-year-old walk-on and spent a season of, Awesome season. Had so much fun. Was an absolute blast. I got to live at home. Played in the played in the Western League. Got some yeah. great teammates. Some great experiences. And then kind of petered out for me in my 19 year old year. So I was just thrilled to get one season in that league. But I was a very like scavenging. Player in the Western Hockey League, most nights in the press box, and and you know Still, fourth line grunt.
1: At the end of the day, to make the Western Hockey League is a very good hockey league, and to make that league, especially it was in the nineties, uh, mm-hmm. I mean it's a tough league right now, but back then even tougher, and so it's very impressive, especially as a walk on to make that happen. Now you left, you left the dub, and you started to pursue the industry you're in. Yeah, broadcasting. Yeah. So where did you go to do that?
0: So I went to BCIT. My second year in Kamloops, I was dealing with an injury. And so I knew it was probably going to be coming to an end for me. And I asked if I could go do color commentary on one of the broadcasts. So I I traveled with the team to Kelowna and sat in the broadcast booth. Jeff Patterson, who's now a longtime media guy in Vancouver, was our play-by-play guy. And I did color in the booth and I loved it. Um, and so I always knew this was something that I kind of wanted to pursue. And so after I finished playing hockey, I, I basically said to my folks, listen, I, I've applied to BCIT in Burnaby. I want to go there for journalism. Um, and it was a two-year program. So I think I was, had just turned 20 and moved out to, to – I actually lived in White Rock but went to school in, in Burnaby and took their broadcast journalism program there. By the way, with no intention of doing sports – Oh like, you
1: were, you were so you were more interested in the news or I
0: wouldn't say I was more interested in it what I'd say is I was highly highly interested in journalism. Okay. In the craft of journalism. Uh and so I just understood that sports jobs were few and far between and it was fine with me. I was ready to do news. I was ready to the first practicum I had was was doing radio news. So I entered I started that journey with full intentions of going wherever it took me. I would have been happy to have been a news reporter or a news anchor or wherever. Um but I ended up landing in the toy box, which you know, it's been it's been an amazing ride because it's you know, it's it's tons of fun. It's it's been a dream career for me just in what I've been been able to do and how much fun it is. So but I was fully prepped to to be a newsman if I needed to be and, and journalism was where my interest was.
1: Yeah. Now what's interesting is that like you said, with sports, it is few and far between. There's, there's definitely yeah. less sports, especially back then. There was less sports reporters, if you will, than there were just normal reporters or anchors and whatnot. So you end up getting into the <laughs> sports game, and you ended up in Edmonton. Yeah, at CTV. If I'm right, yeah. like that's because that's how you and I. Well, had. there were a was, few stops before that, yeah. but that's where that's where I got my big break
0: was when I got the job at Edmonton. So I started in Kamloops. I was one year in Kamloops. Then I moved to Sudbury, Ontario, to a CTV news station there. I was 10 months there. Yeah. Then I got a job in Saskatoon. So I moved to Saskatoon. I was five months there. And then when Peter Labardius left CFRN Edmonton to go to Sportsnet, that job came open and Reg Thomas and Roger Millions flew me in and, and offered me that job. So I started weekend sports in Edmonton, did that for about a year. Then I did moved to the 6 o'clock desk. So I was a 6 o'clock sports guy at CFRN. And then a couple of years later, that's when Ken Chillebeck retired and TSN uh, gave me a chance to take over that job. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's, so a bit it's, of a few stops along the way. Yeah, and it's interesting because whenever I think of of that, you these weren't stops at different stations. These were literally across the country back and forth. Oh, yeah. And to me, that is a relentless thing. Like mm-hmm. you have to really sacrifice. You have to really put effort.
0: Yeah, well, and it's a it's a competitive industry, right? Like you had said earlier, there aren't a lot of there aren't a ton of on air TV jobs for sportscasters. So for me, um, you know, one of the things I was always really good at, and I guess you know, in, in keeping with the theme of the podcast, and being relentless, was. You know, there are a lot of things in the broadcast industry that are out of your control, right? You can't control the number of jobs. You can't control when jobs come open. You can't control what people think of you necessarily. So you have to isolate the things that you can control and then you have to figure out how to leave no stone unturned, right? And so those things for me were things like contact management, right? What I could control is how much people knew who I was and where I was. Um, I could control how many people in the industry uh, I made contact with and had the ability to communicate with as opportunity would come up along the way. So the big one of the big things for me was applying for jobs that didn't exist yet. That's right. one of the ways that I navigated my way through the competitive industry was that... I would approach people not just when there were jobs open, but I would I would be like identify a station and go, I'd like to work at CFRN Edmonton one day. Right. No job open. I would touch base with them and say, you know, I talked to Roger Millions. When I was a student at BCIT, I talked to Roger Millions and said, I'd love to work at that station one day. Are you okay if I keep in touch? So I did this at stations across the country. And so the way that ended up paying off in the end was that I was so aggressive in putting myself in front of people and getting people my material and letting them know who I was and where I was that my last three jobs, I never really even had to apply for. They had openings come up and they knew that guy. Yeah. So I was relentless in making sure people knew where I was and what my intentions were and created opportunity for myself as a result of that.
1: I was about to say, you really were creating opportunities for yourself with that relentless attitude. Yeah. I mean, you can sit back and wait, but then
0: you're striking at the same time, you know, 50 other people are striking. I mean, every job that came up, there would be, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of applicants. And that's not the headspace you want to approach a potential employer in when they're under the gun and seeing you for the first time. You want to catch them on a day where, and by the way, for young broadcasters, if you're ever going to reach out to somebody at a station, know what that station does and know when they do it. Mm. Because if you call a news director at 11 o'clock and there's a 12 o'clock show at that station, they're going to be pissed off. They're like. I got a show in an hour. This is not the time, right? So, And again, these are details that I would figure out. So I want to talk to Roger Millions. What time are their shows? Do they have a five? They don't have a five? Okay, so probably 2.30 in the afternoon is probably a good spot to touch base with a sports director who's got a six o'clock show. Right. Know who you're talking to. Know what their day might look like and plan your approach strategically. Like I was, I, I was a little bit, I was a little dicey with this, man. Like I, I had a spreadsheet, and on that spreadsheet, I had a list of stations across the country that I wanted to work for, a list of people in the sports department, a list of when I last made contact, wow. a list of when I last sent them material, and a rating of one to five on how well the conversation went. Wow! Like I was relentless yeah. in that part of my career management, and that's yeah, that just paid huge dividends for me down the road. That's ambition. It
1: like, that's ambition. Well, I
0: just I, I I knew where I wanted to be. And I knew where I didn't want to be. And I knew I was going to have to go through some of those places that I didn't necessarily want to be long-term. Yeah. Uh, and I just didn't want to leave anything to chance. Yeah. I wanted to, because there are so many things out of my control, I took comfort in seizing the things that I did have control of. And that was where those areas where I was relentless. Just I was on people. Like it was to the point where I, I got in my car with my dad when I was working in Kamloops. And I, there was a job opening in in Edmonton. At a channel i drove all the way to edmonton just to go knock on that door and say i am here because i sent material and didn't hear back i just went anyway yeah and it was chris duncan was the guy running things over at the a channel yeah and i managed to talk my way into his office and i managed to talk his ear off and i'm thinking oh this is amazing he's like well you know i'm impressed with your you know stick-to-itiveness there is no chance i'm hiring (laughs) you for this job but you know thanks for driving all this way and we'll keep you in mind Well, when I went to Sudbury, it's because Chris Duncan heard that Mark Oldfield in Sudbury was looking for someone. He reached out to Mark and said, yeah, there's this kid in Kamloops. He's a a bit of a nut, but he's decent. And he drove all the way out here looking for work. Why don't you give him a call? So Mark Oldfield from Sudbury, who knew Chris Duncan in Edmonton, called me. And said, hey, can you get us some material? I was in Sudbury six months later. Wow. So it's just, it was all kind of interconnected, yeah. right? And yeah. it all started from that attitude of just leaving no stone unturned.
1: You know, Shagra, I don't care what anybody tells you. <coughs> I think you're smart.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah. Don't, don't tell the guys on the morning show. <laughs> that,
1: don't yeah. tell them that. Don't tell people on Twitter. That's right. On Twitter. That's a whole lot. Look out. That's a whole nother podcast. So so yeah, a whole other podcast. Uh, we've got Elon Musk coming in next week. Oh, very good. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So, um, listen, your job uh, primarily for you is the Oilers, but there's a lot of other things that you do. This job has taken you yep. all over the globe. Yeah, where are some of yeah. the where are some of the places you've gone to? Where are some of the greatest events you've ever you've ever seen? Um,
0: I mean, I people ask me that, and my brain automatically always goes to the Olympics. Um, so, you know, I've covered, I've covered a ton of hockey. That's my bread and butter is covering hockey, right? So I cover the Oilers, but then I also am a general assignment NHL reporter for the network. You know, one of our senior hockey reporters. So, you know, Stanley cup finals and drafts and board of governors meetings and all that. So I, I sort of run the gamut of the different hockey events, but the most fun I've had, if you, if you had to say, pick one event that was the most fun you had, it was in basically my first year at TSN. I was a general assignment reporter covering the Olympic Summer Games in Athens. Mm. And what was really cool about that was um, you get sent out there and we were a group of like about six of us, me and Farhan Lalji and Billy Dodson, our, our our producer and, you know, our camera guys, Mark and Dean. And we're just this tiny little bureau inside this huge mass of media everywhere. And it's our job to cover Canada at the Summer Games and we're not rights holders so you don't necessarily have great access and you don't necessarily, but it's like you go in in the morning and you're like, okay, hey, what's on the agenda today? Oh, uh, we just qualified for a semi and trampoline. Holy crap, okay, uh, Ryan, you're on trampoline, go jump in a car grab a translator off you go you're racing there on the way i'm reading through the handbook trying to figure out what the rules are to trampoline you know reading biographies and stuff and this is before we had like really easy access to the internet while we were mobile yeah so you're studying up and trying to figure stuff out and then you go and you know you watch the canadian compete and then you're filing a story that you're literally just that day got dropped in your lap and then all of a sudden oh crap you know perdita felician now we gotta now we're busting our ass back to the other side And you're just running all over Athens covering whatever Canada is doing. And you just, you weren't an expert in everything. You just had to focus on great stories, right? I wasn't an expert in all these sports, but I am an expert in great stories and finding them. And it was just the job of telling great stories about our athletes doing amazing things on the world stage. And it just, it summoned all of your skills and abilities as a reporter to go into that environment where, The logistics are against you. You know, the, the, the massive rights holding media is against you. Your deadlines are against you. And it's like, what can you do? And we did some fantastic stuff. I loved it. It was just so much fun. And it was like 24 days of mayhem. It was great. And
1: 45 degrees every day. (laughs) Right. Just sweating. (laughs) Yeah. Sweating. You, uh, that to me then is exactly what you wanted in the beginning. Journalism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hunt a story down. Yeah. Get all the info, write a good story, go to the next one.
0: Yeah, and I think I think maybe sometimes people don't connect the idea of what we do in sports and you know with traditional journalism. There's a bit of a disconnect there. Um, because like I said, it is the toy box. But i um, people will roll their eyes at me a little bit, but i I mean I'm a journalist first and foremost. Yeah. I, that's that's what I'm rooted in, that's what I'm guided by. Um, that's what I'm trained in. And I take those same principles and I apply them to you know, the work that I do covering the Oilers, covering the NHL, covering any event that I go to. So the journalism is first for me. Um, that's what I love. Like I'm a bit of a disappointing sports guy for people to meet. I'll be totally honest with you. Like, cause you know, people who watch lots of TSN or fans of the network, they might, they might recognize me when I'm out and about and they come up and they'll want to talk sports with me. And that's great. Like I, I can, I can talk Oilers and Elks. I'm happy to do all that kind of stuff. Well, then you want to start talking to NFL. And then I want to start talking some basketball. And it's just like, that's I've never fed my family a day in my life covering the NFL. It's not something I did as a kid. It's just not part of what I do. So, you know, if you want to talk about journalism, you want to talk about storytelling, you want to ask me about great stories that I've told all that, that's where I'll thrive. Talking sports is good and it's fun, but that's not where my passion is driven from necessarily. So I'm a bit of a disappointing sports guy for most guys to meet. Well, you're
1: not disappointing to me. I, I, <laughs> listen, I've known you a long time because my wife worked with you way yes. back in the day at CTV. Very, very talented journalist. One of my favorite people I've ever worked with. She, life. yeah, she's she's all right. She's all right. I yeah, like her. That's I like awesome. Her. Yeah, I like her. Um, but, you know, it is interesting because I remember, I remember, <laughs> I, remember uh, I think it was my oldest boy, Liam, when he was first getting into hockey and he was probably seven or eight and he was watching highlights and this and that. And then we ended up seeing you at a hockey rink. Okay. One of, you, one of your boys was playing or somebody was playing. And and I remember my boy coming out and you and I were talking and he just thought it was so cool <laughs> that he didn't remember your name because he was only like eight or nine. Yeah, I thought was, I was Gene Principal. It was so – <laughs> Okay. probably no i don't think you're dropping puns on me but but he just thought it was so cool that i was talking to the guy on tv who right. talks about the oilers yeah. right so that being said you must get recognized i mean listen you got like 140,000 followers on twitter's you're mm-hmm. you're a popular dude you must get recognized in popular or uh in in uh public uh, i remember being out with graham neal once yeah, at, uh, at the ACDC concert at Commonwealth Stadium, just him and I went. We're having a good time, and all of a sudden, this guy walks up to us and he's like, "You're the entertainment guy." And he he does the Elaine shove from Seinfeld. You oh, know? Oh no! And I'm looking at this like, what yeah, is happening? That's a like that's good interaction. You know, and the guy was a little drunk, but yeah. I just remember feeling bad for G. Going like, yeah. then he goes, "Ah, yeah, people sometimes are a little bit goofy." Yeah. right? Have you ever had a bad interaction with
0: somebody? Uh, yeah. A guy in a bar one time got aggressive with me really for absolutely zero reason just was with some buddies and he was pretty boozy and he just decided he was gonna you know this tv guy walked in and he decided he was gonna try and you know create something um and I just just de-escalated it and you know kind of shut it down. I, I mean, but no, like 99.999% are just people who and I people are fans of hockey. They're fans of TSN. They're not fans of me. They're right. fans of the sport I cover and the network I work for. And they see my face and they connect it and they think, oh, there's the guy that's talking about the orders all the time. So honestly, <clears throat> my interaction with fans and with people out and about is amazing. I love it. Good people. They want to say hello. Sometimes they want to take a picture. They'll want to talk hockey um they'll you know just we'll talk i just uh, because i walk right through ford hall on my way in and out of the games and that's where oiler fans congregate and are and i've had some great interactions with people like oiler fans are awesome Mm -hmm. you know they're they're they love their team they want to talk they're passionate they you know why didn't you ask him this why didn't you ask him that and we can you know have all sorts of fun conversation like it's all good man people are People are gracious and great. And I really enjoy meeting people and finding out, you know, what's your name and what do you do? You know, and, and I just like meeting people. So not an issue, not a complaint. I think people are great, except the nameless ones on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) The keyboard warriors. Yeah. They don't even need to. They're so tough. Uh, They're so tough.
0: I was, I was looking at you guys before I came up and I'm like, dude, there must be money
1: in dirt because you guys look nice. Hey folks, do you like to laugh? Who doesn't like to laugh? The UCAN Comedy Nights are a ton of fun. And do they ever make you laugh? Listen, our next UCAN Comedy Nights happen in March 2023. If you want all the details on how you can support our incredible organization, UCAN Youth Services, go to our website for more details. That is at UCANComedy.ca and you can find out all about our shows, our comedians, who's coming in, and all the ways that you can come out and support us. We look forward to having you there. And uh, why don't you come and have some laughs supporting the serious work that we do at You Can Services? And now back to the show. It's so um, funny.
0: Like 98% of people on Twitter are awesome, but the 2% are so flipping loud. Hey, it just ruins it for the rest of us. It's all so loud. It's, but
1: it's like anything. Right. Ugh. Like that that really if you look at most things in the world where there's a negativity, it's a very small yeah. amount of people that are doing it, right? Yeah. I wish I had thicker skin sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. Like but you are a sensitive guy. And wow, you're and no you're let a... me say this. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. You're a sensitive guy, you're a vulnerable guy. Um and and let's let's talk about that a little bit. Let's My sensitivity talk... and yes. vulnerability. Yes. Um uh, Part of your, uh, I think whenever people hear all the things that you just talked about, traveling the world, going to the Olympics, yeah. you get to go to Stanley Cup finals. You were just in Florida last week. <clears throat> yeah, I was, right? the Board of Governors. For the yeah. Board of Governors, NHL stuff. And they just think, oh, man, what a job, how glamorous, mm-hmm. this and that. But but there are parts of your job that are really hard. Um, I would assume, you know, being away from family. I mean, there I've heard you yep. on the radio. I've heard you talking. You and I have talked about it. There are times that you are gone for like weeks at a time. Oh, yeah. Right. So talk a little bit about that, like the the tough part of your job.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. And again, I'm not, I don't want to come across as complaining at all because I feel so blessed to have the job that I have. I don't take it for granted. I love it every day. Um, But like anything, there's good and bad that comes with it. So yeah, I was a dad who with two young kids at home had to get on a plane and leave for three and a half weeks, you know, and a wife that had two young kids and a new mom and all those things, right? Like it was definitely took its toll for sure. Um, really hard as a dad because I'm, you know, I like to consider myself a conscientious dad. I had an amazing dad that, you know, always gave us his time and and was a huge part of our lives. So it was, it it, it felt very unnatural for me to be gone from their lives as much as I had to be in my early days at TSN. So none of that came naturally to me. And um, so yeah, definitely there were some long road trips and some really difficult times. For me, it was always a work life balance that I had to keep track of. It was always I had, you know. In the moment, it's hard to be gone, and it can suck, but I would always take like a 50-foot step back and look in on the situation and say, how's the big picture looking? I'm lucky enough to have had, had a job where I've been able to keep track of the big picture. The big picture for me of... Yes, I need to be gone for a month, but when I get back, I'm gonna have all kinds of time to spend with the kids. I'm gonna have I don't have a nine to five where I leave at 8:30 in the morning and come home at six o'clock at night and have to work those hours. So I also got tons of extra time with my kids when I was home. So I think I was always able to maintain a good balance. I mean, you know, ask the kids how they feel about it. I've talked to them about it many times and they seem to have come through it okay, not feeling like I was, you know, not part of their lives or gone too much. Mm-hmm but I was always so worried about that, you know, as a, as a dad that tried to think about those things, I just, am I doing okay here? Am I doing the right thing by them? Am I, uh, is this too much? Did I take this one selfishly? Should I have said no to this one? Should I, you know, you're just constantly questioning yourself and, but I think it's just your way of kind of keeping yourself in check. I do think in the long over the long haul, I was able to strike a balance that was okay for them and got me to where I wanted to be professionally. But, yeah, it was definitely hard being away as a dad, for sure, and still
1: is. A journalist's job is a lot harder than people think. There's a lot of things that journalists are seeing. Um, in the, in some ways, maybe not to the level of first responders, but they're there pretty close after. Now, some yeah. people would think, well, sports, you don't see that type of stuff. Uh, that that makes me think of Clint Millarchuk. Mm-hmm. when the Clint Millarchuk Incident happened. And for those of you that don't know, it was, I want to say early 90s, maybe late it might 80s. Have been, yeah, maybe 80s. Late I think. 80s okay. not positive. But. Where he was a goaltender, took a skate in the jugular, yeah. just blood everywhere. Like, I, if I'm not mistaken, there was a, like somebody died in that arena from a heart attack and whatnot. Like, it was, but trauma. I mean, obviously, Malarchuk Mil- had huge trauma, but some of the yeah. journalists reporting that, seeing what they saw. So I'm doing a bunch of talking here, but it's going to come to this point. A question that I have for you, and I already know the answer, but we're going to talk about it, is you, even in sports, you see some pretty tough things, some sad things. What's the worst event you ever had to cover?
0: Well, I think, I mean, listen, day to day, um, I think about my news colleagues in this way a lot more because they're the ones who are reporting on, you know, deaths and murders and families that lose loved ones. And, um, you know, I think it's a much, for the most part, it's a much more relevant conversation with the people who are in that environment day to day to day. And the, and it's not just the journalists, it's the cameramen Mm -hmm. and it's the editors that sit there with the content and have to piece it together. And it's, there's some really hard stuff that comes with putting together the day's news sometimes. And I think about my colleagues more in this way, but to your point, um, you know, I was, the one that got the call to go to Humboldt after, you know, that tragic, um, accident happened and for the better part of probably 18 months, you know, was part of covering that sequence of events and that story. Um, you know in a really embedded almost kind of way i was probably in humboldt a dozen times over that period of time working on different projects and and um so for me that's not something that most sports reporters might necessarily encounter through the course of their career getting involved in a story like that to the depths that i ended up involved in that story so my experience is a little bit different but for me that was i mean by far the hardest thing i've ever had to cover hope i never have to cover anything like that again um It was, yeah, it was just such a tremendous tragedy that I, um, you know, was standing there helping tell that story. Uh, and it was, it was tough for sure. It was really, really tough. And I, and I, and I know where you're going with this conversation and I appreciate it. The one thing I want to say though, and I always do this every time I talk about Humboldt because I don't, I don't really want like talking about myself feels odd in the context of what happened there. Um, what I went through and the difficulty I had covering it is nothing compared to what the families went through and the terrible tragedy that all of those families and the loved ones and everybody went through. So I think about them first and foremost. They've been through things that I can't imagine. And I think about them, but we're talking about doing this job and secondary trauma and the difficulty that can come from that. And I definitely have gone through a lot there. So I appreciate where the conversation comes from, but I always want to say, I think of them first. This is about them, and, not about me.
1: And and I know that. And yeah. in talking to um, Tyler Smith, mm-hmm. um, yeah. who's, who's one of the survivors of uh, the crash. Just an amazing human. Amazing human. Yeah. Um, in talking to uh, Chris Joseph, yep. whose son uh, died in the crash. Um, And actually I know another one of the families um, and and they just spoke so highly of the way that you reported on this, the way that you handled it, the way the sensitivity that you gave to the families and interacting Mm -hmm. with them. Um, As we know, media can take a a punch in the face sometimes for being too intrusive and and pushing too hard. But anyone I've ever talked to just really felt that your work in particular um, was balanced out just really well. Well, I appreciate hearing that. So that being said, um, we are, I do want to talk about you in this situation sure. because this yeah. I th- I think what you said earlier uh, is a good term of secondary trauma, mm-hmm. and so you know what in the same way you said the families come first we all agree with that. Mm-hmm. Second, secondly, let's talk about that you ended up with some trauma as well off of this. Yeah,
0: which- yeah, for sure. I I uh, you know to do this. The due to the type of coverage that we did, like I went there the day after the accident and I was there in the days that followed with the press conferences and the families, you know, waiting for more information and the difficulty. And so um that's when I first interviewed Chris. Just a couple of days after the accident. I, I saw him in a in a parking lot and gave him a hug and and uh he said, Listen, like we're gonna go, you know, we're gonna go see J- jacks Jax and then we're gonna Um, head back to Edmonton but I got some things to say before I do so can we sit down and you know he wanted to talk and so we did and it was just I mean it's yeah it's the most emotional interview I've ever done it was you know just to have him sitting there in that moment sharing with me um yeah it was a lot and that was the start of it um I went there you know when TSN wanted to send me I basically said listen if, if if you're looking for somebody to Chase down stories, and you know, try and land interviews, and try and get to the heart of you know where's the big interview. I it just, I can't be the guy you send because I can't do that. I won't do that. I'm not going to be chasing people or like I can't. And I understand the job, and I don't judge those who had to do it a certain way. I just knew I wouldn't be able to, so I had a bit of a different approach, and I think that approach over the long haul, um, people appreciated that because I was a little bit less aggressive. Um, and so I ended up building some really good relationships with some people who were very, very close to this thing. And, uh, yeah, over the period of 18 months, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of conversations with people who had lost a loved one. And, um, it was just, I don't know where I was packing it, but I was packing it all the way somewhere, you know, because what I wasn't doing was going and crying it out enough. You know, I'd get off the phone for 45 minutes with a mom and a dad who were burying their soul in tears, you know. And what I should have done is hang up that phone and gone to my room and cried for half an hour. But I didn't. I packed that up and I put it somewhere. Yeah. And I did that for a year and a half. And then when it all came to an end and our documentary was released and the first game was done and, you know, we felt like we'd buttoned it all up and it was, it was done in a way that we were proud of and I started to decompress, that's when my family came to me and was like, you're not okay. Something seriously is wrong here and you need to get some help. So um, I'm someone that's done counseling in my life before and I was totally open to it. So I did some grief counseling and that's what I was diagnosed with was secondary trauma. And uh, yeah, that started a journey of just all that stuff that I had packed onto the shelves. (laughs) I started unpacking it and it was not pretty because it had to come out, right? It had to come out somewhere. And uh, but... It absolutely had to be done because the ways that it was manifesting itself, like it was, it was messy. I, I could not be in the same room with my teenagers. I, I would sit in in a room with my, you know, fourteen and sixteen year old at the time, and I just would well up with tears, and I had to go, I had to leave the room because I would just sit there and visualize terrible things happening to them mm. over and over and over again. I'd lay awake at night, catastrophizing over and over and not sleeping, and
1: like it was awful. High levels of anxiety.
0: Yeah, and just it was just this crazy catastrophizing. I just couldn't get out of my head, you know. And I needed help to get yeah. it squared away. You know, I wasn't able to show up for my family the right ways. I was messy. I was short-tempered. I was it, like, it took a big bite out of me.
1: Yeah.
0: And so I needed to go get that worked out. And and I'm so glad I did. Like. We dug into so many things, man. I went there to talk about Humboldt. We ended up talking about my divorce. Mm-hmm. We ended up talking about my dad who died, you know, very early. We ended mm-hmm. up talking about all this other stuff and so much came out of me. Yeah. So much was unpacked. I walked out of there, you know, just feeling like there was a weight off my shoulders that that really needed to. So. Yeah. I definitely can't sing the praises of the concept of going and getting help no matter how big or small you feel like it is. Just go talk to
1: somebody. Yeah, you know, it just it just helps. It just feels better. It's interesting, uh, and thank you so much for sharing that, Ryan. Yeah. I I know, uh, like I said earlier, you're a, you're a, a vulnerable guy. You're an honest guy, which I've always appreciated. And um, I think you talking about that. I hope somebody else will hear and go, oh, okay, I, I should go do that too. I've always yeah. been a fan of counseling. I've done a lot of it in my life. Um, I <clears throat> you know I kind of uh, look at it like if if your car needs a tune-up or if your car needs some, you take it to a mechanic or if your leg's broken, you go to a doctor. Well, if your heart and your head need a little help, why don't you go and talk to somebody yeah. about that? Yeah, know. and I would even take it a
0: step further in that, you know, in understanding not everybody can necessarily have the benefits that allows them to afford it. I've been very fortunate, like Bell and TSN is great benefits package and I've been able to use it. But I would extend it a little bit to say that if you wait until your car's breaking down you know, it's going to be a tougher appointment yeah. as opposed to just going to get your oil changed, sure. right? So, um, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll share this with you, um, you know, in my marriage now, my second marriage with, with Randine, um, you know, f- we often will just have counseling appointments that are on the books. Just we have the benefits we can go rather than wait till something's wrong. Let's just have an appointment on the books. And if we go and sit and talk about how happy we are, great. Yeah you know, um, and often people wait a little bit too long. So whatever you might be feeling, if you can't get your arms around it, if you can't figure it out, there's something about going and sitting in a room with someone who you know you're speaking in confidence to um, and letting them root around a little bit and sharing. Um, it's just, there's something that I think is really healing about it and it's good to get stuff out there. So uh, definitely I have no shame about the fact that you know whether it was marriage counseling in my first marriage that ended up not working out marriage counseling in my second one grief counseling uh, parental counseling wondering how we're gonna get these teenagers through you know this all this stuff uh, it's it's something I'm not ashamed to say I've done tons of and encourage others to if you're fortunate enough to be able to
1: well it's impressive that you did and um, I am sure that that your family your friends. Uh, but, you know, in particular yourself uh, are happy that you did it.
0: Yeah. And it's a good thing. Totally, yeah. And it's a good thing. Yeah, because you don't realize and you want to be – big thing for me was I didn't want it to be about me. Like I I've, I've finished talking to all these people that have been through so much and it felt weird to focus on me or my pain or how it might be affecting me because you're just so empathetic to what they're all dealing with. You feel silly saying – I think I need some help here. Right. Like you just, and as, as men, sometimes we're wired a certain way to think, no, it's, you know, you're okay and you don't need to. And you, you know, I gotta be the man of the house and all this kind of stuff. You just, all these, these wirings that we have to untangle, um, to just be like, no, part of, part of being the things you want to be for everybody is being able to be vulnerable and say, I am failing. I'm not doing this the way I want to do it. And it's because of my emotions, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, and for, for, us guys, sometimes that can be hard to do. I need to go work on my emotions and go work on what's in my head and that.
1: But Well, we're wired that important. way. And also, it's the culture we come from. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's slowly changing. Um, I, I, I hope anyways. I think that our kids, and, and I'm assuming mm-hmm. their kids, it's going to be a lot different than when we were coming up. But I again, I do think that it's great when a couple of guys can sit here and talk about the benefits of counseling. Yeah. And how important it is. For sure. Yeah. Right? Um, are you still in contact with any of the families? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: saw Christina Hogan not too long ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get the odd text
0: message from Kevin Geringer, who was the uh, uh, the president of the team at the time. I uh, See Chris around, like lo- lots of the families. I, um, you know, love hearing from the Boules still. Um, yeah, I, I've I've made some some really great friendships, and um, where it's more than just about Humboldt, right? It's yeah. you know, with Tyler Smith. I mean. Tyler is uh, just a a great person and, you know, love to catch up with him. He actually ended up, just through Fluke, ended up coaching one of my nephews out uh, in Calgary. So, uh, you know, he got to know my brother a little bit and stuff. So, yeah, just some amazing people, some really rewarding um, um, experiences came from that and it feels odd to say that, but there was some very meaningful work that we did. I think we helped some people that needed and wanted to have stories told. And so I, you know, the, the barometer for me on that whole thing is that the people who were going through the worst of it, if they feel like we treated them properly, then that's my measure of success. Never mind quality of this story or that story or whatever. were we good human beings and did we treat people properly
1: mm-hmm. um, and that's what I wanted out of that whole thing so. yeah and like I said, the few people that I've talked to that, mm-hmm. that were connected to it definitely say that um. One last thing on, on that topic. Um, you guys did a great documentary, and, and I just want to tell people if they haven't seen it, it's called Forever 29. 29 Forever, yeah. It's 29 Forever, okay. sorry. 29 sorry, Forever. 29 Forever. And yep. um, the reporting, everything you guys did was so good. And this documentary, I, I remember watching it when it first came out, and then I actually sat and watched it again yesterday. Oh, man. And, yep. uh, yeah, it's 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 emotional. Yeah, It's uh, – it's a tearjerker. Um, it's inspirational. Mm-hmm. It's it's all those things that you would think it would be. But you guys did just an exceptional job on that. Yeah. Like such a good job on that.
0: Well, I mean, we had unreal people. Like I was the, the fronted it, the face of it, whatever you want to say. But you know, Josh Shyman and you know Mike Farrell. We just we just had such amazing people um, behind the scenes working on it. Like I actually flew into Toronto for part of the editing process and sat in the booth for a couple of days and, and you know, we would literally have to take breaks where we would just sit there oh, in tears for a minute, God. you know, just like, oh, it would be like we'd have this really emotional sequence of, of something someone would be saying and then all of a sudden we would apply some music to it and we're like, oh, like it just... Yeah. Every step of the way, painstaking every single thing. Did we strike the right chord? Did we overdo it there? Are we being dramatic? We don't want to be dramatic. Is that real? Is that what she meant? Like we were so crazy over every little detail of that thing. And
1: uh, yeah, it was... It was very well done, Ryan. Like it really was. So kudos to the entire team that did it. And you can actually find that on tsn.ca. Yeah, I think it's still there. It is still there. That's where where I watched it. Um, You go, you just you know, put it in the search and <laughs> it'll come right up and it plays really nicely. Um, okay. Other than the TSN Oilers NHL guy, uh, was a bureau chief. We like to call yep, you. That's what I am. Um, you also have a, like Joe Rogan success podcast happening right now. <laughs> no, <laughs> Thank you. I like to think I mine have a, a is, podcast I think mine's that successful. That's oh, why sure. I shave my head like him. Yeah, yeah We should be like smoking it. cigars. Yeah. Oh well, and he um, doesn't smoke cigars on his podcast, bud. Oh he oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well then well, I don't smoke weed, so um Talk to us about your podcast. You launched last yeah. year, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Right, we launched in March. So um, there's two products that I have. There's two podcasts that I have. The 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 first one was just me and Jason Strudwick talking about the Oilers. Strutty. Strutty. He's a beauty. He's the star of the show. He is a beauty. So the concept is it's called Got Your Back. Um, the reason we called it Got Your Back is because um, – I mean, it sort of ties in with hockey, like hockey players have each other's backs and you can sort of justify it that way. But the idea behind it was every time we have a guest on our podcast, we ask them our signature question about, tell us about a time in your life where someone had your back, Mm. where someone came through for you, right? It can be a a big story, a small story, funny, goofy, whatever. We want to know about that time in your life where someone came through for you. So we talk about the Oilers, we break down games, you know, we we grind on players, we do all the things that you got to do when you're talking about that, and then we'll have guests on sometimes, and then we ask them our signature questions. So there's uh, a local one here in Edmonton called Got Your Back, Y-E-G. Uh, where struds and I talk about the Oilers. Then I started another one this year with Pierre Lebrun. Okay. It's Got Your Back NHL. And that's more like a league-wide podcast where we talk about things across the league, not just here in Edmonton. And that has the same concept. Pierre and I have had some great guests on, and we always ask our guests our signature questions. So from Trevor Zegras to... You know, Jay Woodcroft came on and Pierre Dorian and Paul Maurice and uh, Matthew Kachuk, And so we've had lots of guests come on and give us their got your back story, but talk hockey. And then Pierre and I will often have like Dregs or Ferraro or Cheryl Pounder or Mike Johnson on as well with us. So, yeah, I I got into the podcasting game, got a local one, got a national one. And and as I can tell, you love doing your podcast. uh, Some of my favorite days of the week. Just love it.
1: Yeah, it's fun. It's fun just to talk to people. To <clears throat> yeah. talk about different things and, and uh, get some opinions on stuff. Well, that's cool. And where can they find those podcasts on all the platforms? Pretty
0: much everywhere, yeah. It's just Got Your, it's Y-E-R, uh, Got Your Back. So if you search that on iTunes or Spotify or YouTube or wherever, we're, Apple, we're all over the place yeah. on Twitter and Instagram and all that too. So, yeah, so it's out there. And, and if you see the blue, it's a fist uh like got your back like a fist bump yeah uh the blue one is the struds and i podcast and then the yellow one or the orange and, and black one is the LeBron and i
1: so okay, very cool yeah um before we wrap up do you have although you kind of gave some advice earlier yeah well i'm gonna ask anyways what advice do you have for youngsters wanting to be journalists youngsters wanting to be ryan Rashaw? yeah
0: Uh, I touched on it a little bit before, and I think it's honestly, it's, it's beyond journalism. I think this is just, there are a lot of things that we cannot control. There are a lot of things that you, that are just, you're never going to be able to affect an outcome, um, in life. And you need to learn to accept those things, but then you need to learn the things that you can control and you need to be relentless in maximizing your ability to affect those things. And just think about it. Think about it beyond what's right in front of your nose, right? Like it's, it's, it's not just, there's a job go apply for it. It's how can I position myself to be the best candidate so that I can get to where I want to be. You got to think a few steps ahead. So just leave no stone unturned in trying to figure out how you can get to where you want to be by controlling the things that you can control write it down. What can't I control? I can't control if there's jobs. I can't control if they're not looking for someone like me. I can't control if, you know, and then write down the things that you can control and then figure out how to maximize every single one of those things. And if you do that, you may get where you want to be. You may not, but you're never going to be able to say, I didn't do everything I could. So figure out the things that you can control and just be relentless in maximizing those
1: areas. Makes total sense. We, uh, we like to end the, the podcast with quotes. Um, Love it. I won't put you on the spot if you have a favorite quote, unless you have one that you could just rattle off right now. Uh, it's,
0: it's in line with what I just said, and I'm going to mess it up because it's, I'm not going to say that I, I live by this every day, but every time I hear it, I think that it, that's it. And it's, it's a little bit religious in nature, but I'm, I'm not necessarily a heavily religious person, but it's like, grant me the strength to... <laughs> you don't have to help me with this. Um, the th- something, the things I can control, to know the things I can control, to accept the things that I cannot, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. Something along yeah. those lines. I kind of butchered it. Yeah. But that ethos right there, understanding the strength to accept the things you can't control, you know... To know what you can and can't, what you can, and the wisdom to understand the difference. To me, that's it. So there's a terribly butchered quote, but an ethos.
1: But it's but it makes sense, right? Yeah. It makes sense. And one of the ones that I was thinking about when it comes to journalism, um, and just even talking to to, because I know so many of you guys in this field because of uh, my wife. Um, it's this whole concept around you need to feel comfortable being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. because sometimes. You have to ask these questions sometimes yeah. you have to meet with people that are going through hard things, and I think what you did with the humble uh tragedy um, must have been very uncomfortable, but you had to be comfortable being uncomfortable in order to let all of us in the world know about that story yeah. um, <clears throat> really give us the the right information mm-hmm. and and really um, you know make sure that the families were were spoken of the way that they were supposed to be spoken of and yeah. that all these these folks at these sixteen lives that were lost, um, <clears throat> you know, were, were able to be honored the way that you did.
0: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate those kind words. I mean that means a lot to me. And yeah, for sure. Being sometimes you, you get yourself into a situation where things don't come natural to you or you might be a little bit uncomfortable. And just kind of embracing that and accepting it. Just trying to be who you are. Just lean on, you know, just lean on who you are. And uh, if you're sort of true to yourself in these uncomfortable moments that you find yourself in, chances are you'll be okay.
1: We'll end it this way. I'm going to pump your tires because here's the beauty of what you just said as well. You are a genuine human being, and Thank that's you. what I love about you. What what we see on TV, what we hear on the radio, is exactly what we're hearing on the podcast. Is exactly who you are everywhere in your life. Yeah. And I love that. You know, I think the older we get, we realize we are who we are Mm -hmm. and let's be genuine because it actually works. And you are definitely a, um, a testimony to that. And I appreciate you coming on. Where can we find you on your socials? Uh,
0: Mm -hmm. at TSN, Ryan Rashog. Uh, I started a TikTok. I don't know. You can check it out if you want. I don't even know what my handle is there. Just oh, just Google me on there. Awesome. It's dan- a little. Are goofy. you dancing? Are you dancing? Oh no, I'm not oh. dancing for followers. Oh. I am not doing that. If I start doing that, I need you to track me down. No, pull my phone out of my pocket no. and step on it. I, I will film I it. Can't do that. I will film it. So I'm on TikTok, Instagram, all that stuff, and so is the podcast. Got your back. So uh, it's out there. Just Google me. You'll see it. Follow my Twitter feed. It's all. It's all over there too. So.
1: Excellent. Um, That's where
0: you can find me. Thanks for having me, man. And I I have to say, I'm going to send a little bit of love back to you as well. When I heard you were doing this podcast, I thought it's awesome. I think the concept is fantastic. Um, You guys have been through some tough stuff in your life. And I know in your toughest moments, you guys uh, chose to help others with your messaging. Mm. And your message was received. You know, In your family's toughest times, um, you helped my family. And I think about that all the time. So the fact that you're sitting here doing a podcast with this theme, because I remember you saying that in those moments, be relentless. This is just so inspiring, this whole thing you're doing. And I love it. And uh, I'm just really happy to be part of it. So... Love you guys, the family. You guys are amazing. This is awesome. So congratulations.
1: Uh, thank you for your kind words and your generosity. It means more than you know. You can find UCAN Youth Services at www.ucan.ca and uh, on all of our socials, it's at UCAN Edmonton as well. So Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, I love you, man. And this has been great. And we look forward to hearing from you in the future and seeing what you're going to do. I'll come
0: back anytime you want and look forward to listening to future episodes. But you're a hell of a host. I got to tell you, as a podcast nice. host, I'm still learning and trying to get better. You're pretty smooth at this. Wow, well,
1: thanks! Impressive. Man. I love the sound of my own voice, yeah, so nice. that's <laughs> that, that <laughs> helps. A healthy ego helps to host a podcast. Does. It does. <laughs> Having confidence. Uh, cheers, All right. buddy. Thanks, man.